African, Chinese, Middle Easterners, Greeks, Mexicans, and all other non-white groups of people have come together to form an international plan called The Ring, and it has one mission, to corrupt the purity of the white race. That is, according to Judge Emily Murphy, whose ideas would be considered a hate crime by today's standards. Canadian state criminalized the use of marijuana without knowledge of what it was, without a public debate, scientific evidence, or real societal urgency. And it all started with Murphy's book, The Black Candle, which formed fear among the nation based on ludicrous, racist, and stereotypical ideas regarding cannabis. Murphy worked as a police court magistrate, and her theories directly relate immigration to drug problems in Canada. Her bestseller back in the 1920s flourished several McLean's articles and is now considered the beginning of the false information that had a lasting effect on Canada's drug policies, ultimately allowing Canada to prohibit a drug with a unanimous vote in Parliament before any research had actually began. A century later, Canadians can see how wildly inaccurate her conclusions regarding cannabis are. Murphy argued that users are immune to pain and become raving maniacs that are liable to kill or indulge in any form of violence, using the most savage methods of cruelty without any sense of moral responsibility. She paints a tale of drug pushers who were mostly non-white and non-Christian and were conspiring the ultimate goal of domination of bright brown faces around the world. She called users good-for-nothing, lazy fellows who live by begging or stealing and pester their relations for money to buy the hashish, often assaulting them when they refuse the demands. The moral degradation of these cases is their most salient symptom. Loss of social position, shamelessness, addiction to lying, and theft, and a loose irregular lifestyle makes them a curse to their families. The best part is that Murphy chose to ignore the existing research that suggested the drug wasn't actually dangerous. Science journals from 25 years prior suggest moderate use of hemp drugs may be beneficial in certain conditions. At any rate, moderate use cannot be harmful. In fact, there isn't any specific property to hemp drugs which incites to violence or crime. It is also reported, apparently, it is much less liable than alcohol to induce men to commit violent actions. Of the greatest legislative impacts Judge Murphy's work produced, was the penalty she recommended, including mandatory minimum sentence, whipping, deporting immigrants, and even gassing. By including cannabis in the Opium and Narcotic Drug Act without providing any basis why it should be there, the legislators of the 1920s inadvertently set us on a course that has sent tens of thousands of Canadians to jail in the next 75 years. Murphy's impact on the public's perception of drug users created a series of women-seducing villains, primarily non-white and non-Christian, who threatened the Anglo-Saxon way of life, were addicted to the poisons which destroyed the body and inhibitions of a good Christian upbringing. Fast forward to the 1930s, a time of American influence. Depictions of marijuana's effects were posed as mind-altering and life-destroying in the media. The fact is, 
With only 25 convictions for marijuana offenses in Canada between 1930 and 1945, cannabis still remained a non-issue, aside from the sudden interest taken by mass media. American influence was heavy, since at the time they were producing a wide variety of anti-drug propaganda for radio, the print media, and film to educate Americans about the horrors of drug use. One of the most successful films, Reefer Madness, shows a typical middle-class white, small-town, naive young person who gets lured into the marijuana addiction, sexual depravity, insanity, and murder. Reefer Madness, like other movies during this period, has scenes of criminality, insanity, violence, and sexual immorality, and is presented as a true case study of the negative effects of drug use. Not long after the release of these educational films, McLean's published an article on marijuana titled Look Out for Mary Jane, which presented the materials supported in the American popular press at the time and positioned a direct relationship between marijuana and crime. The article quotes, In February, Shorty Bryan shot and killed Norman Ford outside a Toronto police station. No motive for the crime could be found, but Byron said he was in a habit of smoking reefers and claimed he was on the muggles at a time of the shooting occurred. During the same year, 1938, likely due to the increasing press time covering the devastating effects of marijuana, the Canadian government moved to prohibit the cultivation of the substance. This was the first policy debate regarding cannabis that took place in Canadian Parliament, some 15 years after it had been criminalized. In the 1940s, notions regarding marijuana's grave effects started to get challenged. For instance, a 1933 Time editorial noted, although habitual criminals often use it, psychiatrists and police experts have never been able to prove that it induces criminal tendencies in otherwise law-abiding people. It is less habit-forming than tobacco, alcohol, or opium. Once this gained traction, narratives about drug users began to change, specifically that marijuana use is a direct relationship to crime or that it is a gateway to other drugs. Future Prime Minister John Diefenbacher, at the time, and other parliamentarians argued that the maximum penalty of 14 years imprisonment should be changed to a minimum of 14 years. Another member suggested the death penalty for traffickers. These more serious consequences were supported by a 1954 McLean's article, suggesting they're a far graver problem than their numbers indicate because, with a few exceptions, they are criminals. They cannot hold a job. Their entire existence becomes a search for narcotics. The addict becomes a pickpocket, sneak thief, burglar, shoplifter, forger, or pimp. Women often enter prostitution. Current studies suggest police officials deliberately overstated notions of drug use and crime to legitimize their recommendations for more police powers and more severe drug penalties. Judges who testified during this period rejected the notion that drug addiction was responsible for 60% of the crime in the city and suggested that alcohol was a far greater cause of crime. Despite this contrary evidence and lack of scientific facts, the final Senate report gave more credibility to the police figures in its recommendations. By the late 60s, the RCMP posed a threat to Canadians by collecting information on hippies and identifying them as a drug user. The blunt language in RCMP statements 
reflected both a strong bias against drug users and the counterculture movement. It was important to paint the face of the enemy, which is why comments such as dirty, sloppy, unclean, unkept, bad breath, teeth, and body odor, and unwashed clothes were raised by undercover RCMP officers who also commented on the fact that hippies did not follow any religion, nor did they comply to the male breadwinner, and even concluded that drug use sometimes triggered homosexual relations. Reports from a 1970s frequently cited study published in the Journal of American Medical Association, including 20 males and 13 females, yes, only 33 people, who all smoked marijuana at least twice a week. Their conclusion suggests that users have poor social judgment, poor concentration, confusion, anxiety, depression, apathy, passivity, indifference, and often slowed and slurred speech. They also noted that one 17-year-old boy smoked marijuana and simultaneously became homosexual. More than one of the females in the study was said to have exhibited an unusual degree of sexual promiscuity, which raised from sexual relations with individuals of the opposite sex to relations with the individuals of the same sex, individuals of both sexes, and sometimes individuals of the same sex at the same time. Vancouver Sun echoed this theory by suggesting the growing gay population is largely due to the female estrogen in cannabis. Unless the data we have is soon transmitted to the public, we will probably witness the decline of Western civilization as we know it. MTV reproduced these theories in an advertisement by the Concerned Children's Advertisers that shows two brothers kissing in a car directly after smoking marijuana. Other ludicrous articles in popular press at the time who began to emphasize the adverse physical effects apparently experienced by marijuana users included sterilization and impotence in men, birth defects, cancer, and chromosome damage. In an article by Newsweek, sarcastically titled Pot Bust, reported that marijuana led to the development of female breasts in males. The most common claim in the 1970s was that since cannabis use correlates with the use of more dangerous drugs like heroin and cocaine, it is allegedly a gateway or a stepping stone to the use of harder drugs. I'm Carly Benedictson, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Next week, we'll be diving in deep, talking about interpretations of cannabis in the media during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Thanks again. I'm out.